0: I do think we are into some, you know, economic uncertainty. And sometimes that requires us to, quote, do more with less. But to be honest with you, I've heard that throughout my entire marketing <laughs> career, right? So we still have to take care of, you know, sustainable growth. We still have to look at reducing risk, making sure our customer experiences outperform. Also making sure that we work those current capabilities going to stretch marketing's legs a little bit and all within the data and tech space, which really marketing is focused on heavily these days.
1: Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening to and watching the One-to-One Consumer Marketing Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Pamela Shadrick, who is Senior Director of Retention and Engagement Marketing at Equifax. Pamela, thanks so much for chatting with me today.
0: Oh, thanks so much for the invite. Really looking forward to our conversation today.
1: Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it as well. I think before we get started, can you give everyone a bit of background on you, uh, your current role at Equifax and kind of what led you uh, all the way there?
0: Sure. I've been in marketing communications uh, for quite some time. Some days it feels like 150 years, you know, but I do really enjoy what I do. I was fortunate to to come up in marketing, get my story in the time when marketing was really evolving into those digital channels. The the internet was still kind of in its infancy and digital channels were coming on board. And so it was a really great opportunity to see how business decisions impacted the customer and and then how the customers sometimes turned those on its head with through those channels, uh, a little bit more autonomy. I've had the privilege of working with Fortune 500 companies, middle market companies specifically, and B2C, B2B, and B2B2C efforts. And so my background primarily is in financial services, helping companies to build those customer journeys and and lifecycle strategies. But I do also have um, experience in manufacturing, professional services, and technology. And I'm relatively new to Equifax, but my team is really great at uh, building those lifecycle strategy and those programs and really supporting the customer throughout them.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for that overview. I think we'll definitely get into the lifecycle strategies in more detail later in the episode before, you know, we get started in that, you know, you mentioned having seen quite a few different things like the adoption of digital channels and working, uh, you know, for quite a few Fortune 500 companies. Can you maybe just give us a little insight into how has that shift been in terms of like what do you see as the biggest shifts when it comes to digital?
0: So what I've seen as far as like shift, I mean, it used to be a lot of product centric, brand centric marketing, which is very important. And I don't think that's gone away, but the really the balancing of the customer centricity and that and really kind of given those customers more autonomy and listening more. You know, B2B marketing was really great with ABM and really kind of laying the groundwork for life cycle marketing because sometimes you have longer sales cycles with uh, B2B. Um, and you have to really focus in on that relationship. So I think it's really been great that the customer centricity has been added to that consumer base, which consumer marketing typically tends to be quite transactional and fast. And so now it's really kind of forcing us to take a look at the broader end to end and uh, take care of those customers throughout their life cycle.
1: Yeah, I think a much bigger focus on building an actual long-term relationship over purely focusing on that transaction, like you mentioned. You touched on it a little bit, but can you summarize a little bit? You know, you've worked in B2B and B2C and B2B to C. So yeah, I think what's happening right now in the space is just power is shifting a bit more into the hands of the buyer. And can you talk a little bit through how you see the current state of consumer marketing and does that reflect on B2B as well?
0: So I would say that the state of consumer marketing is always in flux, right? The principles don't really change that much in marketing. They haven't since I was in college. I do think we are into some, you know, economic uncertainty. And sometimes it requires us to, quote, do more with less. But to be honest with you, I've heard that throughout my entire marketing Thanks. career rates. So we still have to take care of, you know, sustainable growth. We still have to look at reducing risk, making sure our customer experiences outperform, also making sure that we short work those current capabilities going to stretch marketing's legs a little bit, and all within the data and tech space, which really marketing is focused on heavily these days. I think in the B2B space, as technology has been really great to kind of take in that ABM, which really used to be a lot of boots on the ground, a lot of relationship and really revolutionizing that to be able to help sales professionals be a little bit more connected to that digital experience. So I think we're in a good spot. I don't, like I said, I don't think that the principles change. Sometimes with economic hard times, there is a, you know, sometimes a threat to that consumer purchasing power But we haven't really seen that all the way across the board throughout um, industries. We were still kind of seeing business as usual.
1: Yeah, it's funny that phrase do more with less. You know, you hear it. I feel like if you looked at, you know, now 2008, 2000, during the dot com bubble, you could probably scrub the dates out and you'd see some of the same types of headlines, the same type of language being used. And it's so much the case, too, that that reflects in on, okay, we always think, okay, this is totally we have to rethink how we do marketing. This is, everything is different this time around, but the reality is there's so many common themes. And like you said, the fundamentals don't change. Can you talk a little bit about those fundamentals and then maybe also how you think about customer retention and lifecycle marketing today?
0: Sure. I would say I view customer lifecycle marketing as discipline, right? And so when you think about things like retention and loyalty, which is what we're really after, a lot of that, Times those become KPIs or targets we're looking at, but it goes back to what we we're talking about with relationship marketing. I can, if I trust you, I can do business with you. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be engaged, right, in your programs. If you can demonstrate to me that you get me, you understand me, I'll become more engaged in your programs. But still doesn't mean I'm loyal because your competitor could be doing the same thing. And so getting towards the loyalty, you really do have to have um, shared purpose and intent, right? And I'll give you a great example of that. With REI, I think they do a phenomenal job at being able to connect that shared purpose and intent. So if you go to their website, say, for example, you purchase a you know, rock climbing harness, right? A week later, you'll get an email that not only lets you know of some of the places you can go rock climbing in the Southeast or wherever you are, but it also kind of connects you with kind of a soft sell to some of their adventure programs. So instead of that feeling like a, a heavy push that I'm a means to an end, it kind of pulls me in to more of that community where, yeah, I want to go rock climbing with others, right? And so I think that's really the centerpiece of relationship marketing. The retention KPIs, the loyalty KPIs, the fundamentals that we're talking about are still there. We still have to look within the life cycle where attrition may happen most. We need to proactively respond to that, maybe some churn probability models, and really take care of those points along the way. And a lot of that is done through kind of really getting to know your client intimately and understanding that and mapping out that that end-to-end journey through a very strategic uh, method.
1: Yeah, thanks. I love that example as a rock climber and an REI customer myself, that one really hit home. You do do a a fantastic job, I think, of, of providing value without, like you said, that always the hard sell. And even I think their loyalty, they have like a dividend program that is designed to make you feel like a shareholder. I think they've really done a fantastic job of that. You know, you mentioned APIs, you mentioned like looking at customer attrition points and kind of probabilities and trying to counteract that. Can you talk us through a little bit, like what are the KPIs you're looking at um, when it comes to retention and loyalty? And then also how that impacts some of your decision-making and your team structure?
0: Yeah, so we um, really approach, or I should say I approach kind of those fundamentals and in, in building those programs through aligning strategy, data, technology, and content, right? A lot of times, you might have marketers that start with content and kind of back into a strategy, which is not, in my opinion, a great strategy. Really strategically understanding the goals of what you're trying to accomplish, help you kind of pinpoint those really relevant KPIs. So whether that's looking at a retention rate, whether that's looking at engagement rates, whether you're needing to do something like scoring and then being able to connect that. What data do you have? to be able to truly understand that and what you're trying to accomplish and how that uh, relates to your customer. And then, of course, the technology piece. How do you deliver upon that, right? So we can have a lot of great strategies, a lot of great data, but if our technology is not really able to deliver that in a seamless, effective, efficiency fashion, then it becomes a little bit clunky, feels a little bit (laughs) off. Right? And then that content piece really is kind of that cherry on the top where you are really personalizing the content with the experience, with the alignment between strategy, data, tech, and content. So I think the KPIs become really, not necessarily the target, which sometimes in marketing, we could focus so heavily on those KPIs and we go after that. It becomes um, focused more on that process. And we then see which KPIs we really need to kind of fine tune and hone in on
1: yeah i love i like that approach of you know strategy first what data do we have what technology we can we use to enable and kind of act on that data and then content is the logical extension of kind of all of those things to deliver one-to-one personalization i agree with you i think people can get that mixed up sometimes when they focus immediately on the content or immediately on the engagement and they haven't really thought through okay what does our buyer journey look like what like really map out our entire funnel and then how can we deliver a kind of personalization in those different moments. I think that's a, a great way to think about it. I mean, we've seen a shift. I think you mentioned the shift in in the market, kind of how we are doing more with less right now as marketers or as companies as well. Like, how does retention and lifecycle marketing fit into your company strategy right now? And has that changed over the last 12 months?
0: You know, I will say that I'm seeing a lot more, more of a C-suite embrace that customer centricity, Right which then opens up really the key targets for retention and loyalty. So as far as kind of seeing what we've seen in the past you know, 12 months, of course, I've been with Equifax only <laughs> six months, but kind of
1: mm-hmm.
0: in the industry, I do kind of see that more of that push or the more of the attention to how do we retain our customers. And so a lot of times acquisition is what we go heavy on, specifically where your big budgets are. Right. And Mm -hmm. so through the acquisition piece and then the retention, being able to see how do we keep those customers that come in? Because a lot of that uh, re-business, if you can use that terminology, a lot of the resales do come from that customer base or retention becomes really, really important to track. And then over the as you're strategizing and looking for towards the future, pulling in LTV and understanding Kind of that segmentation, where those segments, the high value segments that you need to to kind of uh, go after, and also then helps inform that the future state.
1: Yeah, there's uh, I think so many moving parts to really get the most value of your customers and and fully understand that. We'll get into that a tiny bit before. You know, you mentioned C suite really embracing retention, and what does that look like for you? And is it like in board meetings it gets mentioned more? Is it like more attention just how does that manifest, I guess, in your role?
0: You know, so I think it, you definitely have, it's more top of mind. It's more mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think one of the challenging aspects of bicycle marketing, retention, engagement, uh, loyalty, is that you really do have to try to balance the short-term strategies with the long-term strategy. A life cycle is the long haul, right? You still have to kind of, keep the lights on and pay those bills. And that's a lot of times where the short-term strategies are focusing in on those high-revenue pieces, which is really where the C-suite lies to focus on because you have monthly, quarterly, yearly targets. But now they have a little bit more patience, I would say, with those longer-term strategies. And then if you're able to balance those where you're not too heavy one on the other, typically the life cycle becomes a little bit more easier to sell.
1: Yeah, I guess it's always the the life cycle is probably the thing that gets hurt the mm-hmm. most uh, by short-term thinking and yes. like really like the full lifetime value that you could get from a stronger relationship with a customer. I think that touches a bit on my next question, which is really kind of what are the biggest challenges for you right now when it comes to retention and loyalty?
0: So I think we're talking a little bit about the state of consumer marketing. And I, I think the expectations of consumers are always looking for more and more, right? They want that seamless experience, right? Sometimes budgets, you know, if they're being cut during difficulties, that's a bit of a challenge. Sometimes you might lose FTEs where you're having to really kind of bring more (laughs) with less, right? So I think the one of the biggest challenges is kind of balancing the short-term and long-term strategies and then making sure that we are where the customer is. And then we are responding to the customer in the channels that, that they most prefer. And then really making sure that through the, the lifecycle, we're, we're kind of proactively thinking and kind of um, being there to support not only the, the business side, the revenue piece, but also the experience side of the customer.
1: Yeah, I think. You know, consumers do expect more and I don't think that they care about the fact that businesses are being asked to do more with less. The consumer still definitely expects more and they'll their dollars will go where that more, I guess, is being provided. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned channels. What channels are you seeing work well these days and which ones are not working as well?
0: So I'm not a huge fan of chasing channels. I think a lot of times you'll see trends that'll come out and say, I, you know, I think this morning I read a, uh, an article where I think it was Open Table was really kind of ch- uh, using the chatbot GPT to, to recommendations, and so that's exciting and interesting. But I really think the best channel is the channel where your customers are, what they prefer, and really mm-hmm. understanding what those are, and where, you know, and being there when they're in those channels. The worst channel possibly is one that um, maybe you've chased and uh, you've tested and you haven't let go of, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, you know, I do think kind of the the multi-channel approach and then I think probably for those brands that have been in kind of this space a little bit longer, that omni-channel approach really is really is important. So that you might have multi-channels where that's email, mobile, push, and then testing some of those new channels through bots, et cetera, is important. But it really is going to come through that iterative testing find which channels work best for your brand and your customer.
1: Yeah, I love that. I think it is very easy to chase channels and ultimately, but you do want to be where your customers are, I think is is a huge one. And I think every channel has its own nuances to do them well. And there is always a huge opportunity cost to chase every single one of them. So it, it, there's, I think as marketers, our job is also to try to double down on the ones that work well, the ones where our customers are engaging well. And that's definitely where you're going to see the most kind of fruitful endeavors. I mean, you mentioned on the channel side, like, how do you test into a channel? How do you get buy-in from C-suite, for example, to like, you know, maybe stick a neck out and try something new when you're trying that iterative approach to testing?
0: So I think it all starts with data. You do have to be able Mm -hmm. to take a look at maybe, and this is where trends comes into play, maybe trends that are happening in the market, maybe... Looking at your current channels, you're looking at where your customers are, and then being able to say, you know, we have, based upon our data, maybe the opportunity to test this particular channel. You might take a sub-segment of your customer base, test a little bit of that, and then based upon those results, that's when I think the larger buy-in comes. It's really hard to convince those who hold the purse strings to give you a lot of money to test uh, something new unless you've got some data to back it up. So having, you know, wonderful segmentation, um, a plan, a testing plan, being able mm-hmm. to what you're tracking, what you're going to, what we're really trying to accomplish, and then showing that to the C-suite really sometimes could help you get that buy-in.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And so it sounds like for you, it's like you're finding those segments, like kind of building your plan. Do you, you run like an incremental lift test, I guess, against a controller? Like, how are you doing that actual testing process and then you bring that to someone like your CFO or whoever is, you right. know.
0: There's different ways of testing, right? So mm-hmm. I, I find that cohort testing, testing different types of cohorts and doing kind of the intermittent lift, um, mm-hmm. kind of showing that to your C-suite helps you uh, to get that buy-in.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, you mentioned it as well, like a big topic on everyone's mind these days. It seems like it's always on marketers' minds is personalization, right? And can you also mention kind of being in the channels where customers are? I think it's very hard to do that and personalize at scale, especially when we think about like the scale that you're operating at at, at Equifax, for example. Can you walk through some examples of kind of how you're trying to connect one-to-one or personalize with your, your current and potential customers?
0: So we marketers love a lot of buzzwords, right? I think personalization at scale is probably my favorite because it really kind of feels almost like an oxymoron, right? Because personalization... Requires you to dive deep, get really intimate, and understand your customer. Whereas the at scale piece is that broader base. How do I deliver that personalized experience to each one of my customers, where they are in the channels, when they're there at the, the right optimal time? And so I think that sometimes becomes overwhelming, especially maybe to those brands that don't have those big budgets to go purchase a sophisticated tech stack with a CDP and orchestration programs that really make that easy, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think that personalization at some scale and personalization where it matters most is important for maybe those brands who don't have those budgets. So the marketing automation that we have and most brands have is pretty sophisticated. And so there's a lot of opportunity to be able to use that. And so... If you're looking to go from a general marketing automation program to more personalization at scale, it really is starting with your data, uh, having a solid data foundation. So whether it's a CRM, a data mart, making sure the data governance and the data is reliable, it's very important. Mm -hmm. You know, garbage in, garbage out, right? (laughs) So there's the data foundational piece of it. There's the decisioning platform mechanism. A lot of marketing automation programs have that, like with a journey builder, some sort of life cycle journey orchestration. That's very, very important. You don't have to have a CDP to do personalization of skill. Makes it easier. But <laughs> you, do, you have some capabilities in your marketing automation. There's also the design piece of that. You need to be able to manage those assets effectively, efficiently, be able to distribute them in the right time, right place, right channel. So, The ball follow of personalization at scale, I think very few brands get to and do that really successfully. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. ARIA does a great job at it. But sometimes the challenge is that you don't have the budget to add to the stack. And I've also seen too, a lot of companies purchase sophisticated marketing tools and not use them to their full capacity, right? And so I think, uh, especially in times where you are kind of having to pull back with budgets, Looking at your current tech stack and seeing where you could stretch marketing legs is really, really important. And then the, the quintessential piece of that is understanding your customer intimately so that you're able to respond to them with the right trigger accounts or the right type of personalization, whether that's personalized content that's meaningful to them, or maybe that's you know responding to them at a particular time, whether it's a banding court, doing that something that makes sense to them. Or even when you look at kind of financial marketing, a lot of that is with, you know, education and there's a lot of financial offers out mm-hmm. there. So if you're able to be able to do that educationally and from a really proactive sense, be able to offer a next best offer to them at a the time they need it, that's when you really get kind of that personalization that matters most. So,
1: Yeah, I love that as a response, pushing back on the, the thought of personalization at scale. Yeah. But also, you know, the approach that I feel like is similar to other also kind of retention marketers, lifecycle marketers I've spoken to of focusing on, okay, like, you really need to have like the data in place, like good data is kind of the foundation for that. Then you have the orchestration piece that layers on top of the data. And then you can think about design and content as like what you're delivering through all of that orchestration. But ultimately, again, moving back to what you said, which is You have to know your customer. I think marketers love to over engineer things, love to get stuck into the technology piece of things like we all love technology, but sometimes the real heart of what matters is like, okay, understanding who is my customer, how can I actually serve them on their journey rather than trying to fit them into my vision of what their ideal journey should be. And it's so easy. It's so easy to get lost in that sometimes. Looking forward a little bit, you know, I think we've talked about kind of how you see retention and loyalty, some of your challenges as we kind of look towards the future. What is a more exciting kind of consumer marketing trend or technology uh, that you think will change retention and loyalty?
0: I think the next five years is going to be really interesting. It's going to be a trip, you you know, for quite some time, technology, you know, has been part of our world, right? But I think we're kind of moving to a space where we're becoming part of technology's world. And I'm not sure we've thought all the way through that. So, if lifecycle marketing is about relationship, what does the relationship with AI look like? Right. And I'll give you an example, kind of what I'm talking about. You know, Delta Airlines and Permit Lanta, it's been my airline for, for a long time. They have a, a wonderful chatbot. So, like, I, I had an issue with my ticket, needed to call. It was about 15 minutes that I was waiting. But then they offered me kind of uh, the opportunity to talk to a chat bot, who then connected with the already available data within uh, within the app through my Miles account, took that, asked me a couple of questions, passed me on to a human representative who was able to solve the problem all in under three minutes. That's perfect. That's how technology is supposed to work, right? Mm-hmm. Compare and contrast that to another experience that I had with a consumer products company. I had a warranty issue with one of their machines. They contacted me, um, the representative that I spoke with asked me a lot of questions, kind of in a similar question in a different manner. The cadence seemed to be a little bit rehearsed, right? And to the point where it kind of got me thinking, am I talking to AI here, right? Because the technology does exist to have call center representatives who really are like human beings and sometimes really convince some customers that they are human, right? Mm -hmm. The interesting question to me was, how do I feel about that? Because marketing Mm -hmm. is about how, how really those experiences about how you feel. And so if it's a human being going through, robotically going through scripts, I don't connect with that, right? Or if it's AI trying to pass off as human, I don't connect with that sometimes. So what does that mean for us in the next five years, specifically to lifecycle marketing, when it really is about relationship. And I think those questions and the answers quite aren't there yet, but I think that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, I th- that's such an interesting point. I also feel that it's so much about expectation setting, right? That's definitely what we see with our customers as well in the messaging space is that if you, if you set that initial expectation, make it very clear that you're talking to a bot, that right. you could get passed off to an agent afterwards, but that you'll get passed off with all of the context from your conversation to help you really like deliver on a great experience and solve their problem, then you'll have a great experience. But if it's unclear and you're not quite sure, and then you feel like, oh, wait a minute, I'm talking to a bot, then you immediately have a negative experience when something could have been like very, very positive to begin with. And I agree. I think that connection, that connection can get lost. And it's so much about trust, right? And so... You need to build trust to build a good relationship with people and people don't trust if you're not transparent with them about, you know, how the interaction is being managed, what their expectations should be. I think it's such an interesting comparison of the two, especially when you think about it going beyond service and into marketing, right? Like into proactively engaging people with with things like AI and chat. There, you really have to make sure that you retain that positive experience because you're not reacting to them you're kind of trying to guide them and engage them so there it becomes i think even more important i mean you mentioned ai the you know it's it will change a lot but looking back you know you've been in this space for a while i'm sure you've had a ton of learnings you know what are the top three pieces of advice you'd have for other consumer marketers or kind of things that you wish you knew at the start of your career that you know now
0: Yes, at the start of my career, it was a completely different world where we are right now. I would say, probably, I would go back to firmly planting your feet in marketing principles. That's very, very important, regardless of what changes, kind of how trends move and ebb and flow. It really is important to look at strategy, data, technology, and content and how you align that for the benefit of the customer. So I would definitely say, keep your feet firmly planted in those principles. Secondly, I would say, don't chase trends, right? Understand those trends, but more importantly, understand your customer and how you can be authentic, right? One brand may be doing something that's really exciting and wonderful and you can learn from that. But it doesn't mean you have to be a lookalike to that brand because it may not necessarily work for your customer or your business. So it's really important to, to be authentic, Lastly, I would say, don't be afraid to challenge the status quo, right? Um, I think a lot of times when you start out in marketing, you might be slightly shy or you might have an idea that may get shot down and it may may not be anything personal. It just could be, you know, the strategic roadmap is slightly different from kind of the idea that you might have. It may be more forward thinking. So just be patient with that and wait. A mantra that I live by is think big, uh, start small and learn fast. You don't want to sacrifice those great ideas because they're sometimes really innovative ideas, but you do kind of have to maybe test your way into it and then be able to prove that your idea is the next best thing, right?
1: Yeah, I love that. You know, think big, start small and learn fast. That's a good mantra for all of us to live by, especially when it comes to marketing. I think ultimately marketing is a feedback process, right? Like you... Are trying to gather feedback to improve and really know your customer, and so the faster you can do that, if you find ways to accelerate that feedback cycle, then you're definitely setting yourself up for success. And I also agree with so you: don't chase trends and always live by the the fundamentals, the first principles of marketing. If you don't yeah. understand those, I don't think any of the data or tech in the world is going to help you be successful in engaging your customer effectively. Pamela, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. If people want to learn more about you and follow your work, where should they go?
0: I'm on LinkedIn and I'm certainly would love to connect with you if you have any questions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to send an invite or DM Pamela Shadrick on LinkedIn uh, from F-Quar Facts if you like the episode. Uh, also, me, I always want your feedback on what you think of the episodes and ideas or guests for new episodes. And you can also follow spectrum.io on LinkedIn to learn more about messaging and more podcast episodes like this, or check out the website at spectrum.io. Pamela, thanks again for joining.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation.